The How Is This Movie podcast is supported by listeners just like you. Go to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. There you can pledge as little as a dollar a month and help us maintain the goal of keeping this show fully independent and free of advertising. You will also gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else. Once again, that's patreon.com slash howisthismovie. And now for our featured presentation. Good morning. For those of you I hired personally, it's nice to see you again. For the rest of you, I am Meredith Vickers, and it's my job to make sure you do yours. Okay, then. On with the show. Wayland Corporation. Building better worlds. Hello, friends. My name is Peter Wayland. I am your employer. I am recording this 22 June 2091. And if you're watching it, you've reached your destination. And I am long dead. May I rest in peace. There's a man sitting with you today. His name is David. And he is the closest thing to a son I will ever have. Unfortunately, he is, he is not human. Grow old, and he will never die. And yet he is unable to appreciate these remarkable gifts, for that would require the one thing that David will never have a soul. I have spent my entire lifetime contemplating the questions where do we come from? What is our purpose? What happens when we die? And I have finally found two people who have convinced me they're on the verge of answering them. Doctors Holloway and Shaw, if you would please stand. As far as you're concerned, they're both in charge. The Titan Prometheus wanted to give mankind equal footing with the gods. For that, he was cast from Olympus. Well, my friends, the time has finally come for his return. Welcome to How Is This Movie? My name is Dana Buckler, and thank you for taking just a little time out of your day to listen. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at How Is This Movie. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash How Is This Movie. You can always email me with questions or comments at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave a review on whatever platform you use to listen. Now, before I get started, I need to make it abundantly clear that this episode would not have been possible without the extraordinary research done by James Anton, who also goes by Tin Man. If you recall, in the last episode, I asked if anyone would be interested in becoming a research assistant for How Is This Movie? Well, to my delight, a few of you reached out to me and said that you would be interested in helping this podcast. Since the workload at my, quote, real job nearly doubled in the past couple months, it has become incredibly challenging for me to be able to do the amount of research necessary for the film history episodes. James, a.k.a. The Tin Man, provided me with much of the info that I'm going to be presenting to you in this episode. Tin Man also does a fantastic podcast called BATS, B-A-T-S, Brute and Tin Man Speak. In this podcast, Brute and Tin Man cover movies, music, 
and life in general. I've included a link to their podcast in this episode's show notes, so please check them out as soon as possible. Again, let me extend my extreme gratitude to James for all the work he put in researching this topic. Thank you, James. So our journey into the world of the Alien franchise finally continues. Having covered the first three Alien films, the first two Predator films, and the crossover Alien vs. Predator, it would seem obvious that the next episode would be 2009's Alien vs. Predator Requiem. But I just can't do it. Believe me, I've tried. I've watched that movie three times in the past two months, and and I know this will not be a complete look at the Alien franchise, but also understand that I did not do an episode on Alien Resurrection, which in hindsight is a masterpiece compared to AVP Requiem. Believe me, again, I tried. I took notes, I did some research, but I was bored to tears trying to find one redeeming quality about AVP Requiem that would warrant its own episode. So after some careful consideration, I made the decision to pass on two films, the aforementioned AVP Requiem and 2010 Predators. What I found kind of interesting about both of these films, however, is that they were each made for about $40 million, and they both brought in a worldwide total of $128 million for AVP Requiem and $127 million for Predators. Speaking of Requiem, for just a moment, can anyone tell me what the hell is going on in that movie? Now, I don't mean the plot, that's kind of simple. It's a direct sequel to 2004's AVP. It literally picks up exactly where that film leaves off. We see the Predator ship crash into a mountain town, and the movie then basically becomes a slasher film, with an ending that is a blatant ripoff of 1985's Return of the Living Dead. I understand the plot of the film. The question I had was, can anyone tell me what's actually happening in the movie? Because I couldn't see shit. The movie was so dark in its color tone that I found myself turning the brightness on my flat screen all the way up just to kind of understand what was happening. I don't know if this was a conscious decision by the brothers Strauss, the two directors of the movie, to hide some CGI effects or maybe shoddy practical effects or something, but damn it, I couldn't tell what the hell was going on throughout most of the movie. At least with 2010's Predators, I could clearly make out what was happening on screen, but I didn't like that movie either. I think the main issue with Predators is that none of the characters, including Oscar winner Adrian Brody, had any charisma of any kind. So that's going to be a hard pass on those two films. After 1979's Alien, director Ridley Scott moved from the Alien franchise and over the next 30 plus years directed a number of high profile movies, including Blade Runner, a film that I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn was actually a box office bomb upon its release in 1982. And in case you're wondering, I did finally watch that movie. Scott also directed Legend, Thelma and Louise, 1492 Conquest of Paradise. It was one of two Christopher Columbus films released in 1992. White Squall, G.I. Jane, which I still think is an awesome movie. Demi Moore is pure badass in that film. In 2000, Ridley Scott directed that year's Best Picture winner, Gladiator. In the following year, he directed Black Hawk Down and the sequel to The Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal. Now, for his efforts, Scott was nominated three times for Best Director in that time period, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, and Black Hawk Down. Now, in the early 2000s, Ridley Scott reached out to James Cameron and proposed an idea. Perhaps it was time to revisit the Alien universe. Now, the idea that Scott had was for Cameron to produce the movie and for Scott to direct it. The two met and discussed ideas for a possible fifth film in the Alien franchise. The idea of bringing Scorny Weaver back from the dead even floated around. Let's stop and think about this for just a moment. Can you imagine what a James Cameron-produced Ridley Scott-directed alien would be like? These two gentlemen are responsible for the two best films in the franchise. 
And the idea of them collaborating on a film, well, that's something that probably would have ended up amazing. Although, for me, personally, I would have liked to have seen them switch roles. By that I mean I would have liked to have seen Cameron direct the film and Scott produce it. But I can also understand the argument for the other way around. I mean, look, both directors have an exceptional eye for detail in their respective world building. Now, to be clear, this project would have had no problem getting a green light from 20th Century Fox. However, when Fox announced that they were moving forward with an AVP film, Cameron promptly walked away from his collaboration with Ridley Scott. The rest of the 2000s, would see Ridley Scott direct five more movies. Actually, it should be noted that he was also the producer of these five films. Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, A Good Year, American Gangster, and Body of Lies. Of those five films, only American Gangster and Body of Lies could be considered modest successes, with the other three films, Matchstick Men, Kingdom of Heaven, and A Good Year, barely making back their budgets. During the time period between 2000 and 2009, Scott would be asked often if he would be returning to the Alien franchise. In many interviews, he talked about the idea of doing a prequel, exploring exactly who and what the space jockey was from the original 1979 Alien. By 2009, Ridley Scott had read two very interesting sci-fi scripts that had yet to be produced. They were entitled Passengers in Shadow 19, written by newcomer John Space. Scott asked Space if he would be interested in discussing some ideas for an alien prequel. Space wrote a detailed 20-page outline for Scott almost right away, and within three weeks of their first meeting, had wrote the first draft of the script. Now, all told, he wrote five different drafts, but the main theme of the script centered around the origin of the space jockey, which he renamed the Engineers. Now, the basic plot of Space Script would have seen the crew of the ship called USCSS Magdalene land on LV-426, the same planet from the original Alien film, to find answers as to why the Engineers created humans. The events in the script were to take place 30 years before the events of Alien, and the script did include facehuggers and the chest-bursting xenomorph. Scott took the script idea to 20th Century Fox. However, interestingly enough, they only agreed to greenlight the project if Scott agreed to direct the film, something that he actually didn't intend to do at first. Once Ridley Scott agreed to direct, 20th Century Fox intended to fast-track this film into production and set a release date of December 2011. Scott wanted a $250 million budget and planned on the film to have an R rating. Now, by 2010, the big Hollywood studios were into what I'll call, you know, low-risk, high-reward film productions, meaning that there was no way in hell they were even going to touch a film for $250 million that was R-rated. Scott's budget for his upcoming Alien prequel was effectively cut to $130 million. Now keep this in mind, if he had agreed to make a PG-13 version of the film, he most likely would have gotten the budget he had requested. 20th Century Fox also requested that Scott bring in a professional screenwriter to polish up the script. He brought in writer Damon Lindelof, who by that point had written several episodes of the hit TV show Lost. The changes that Lindelof made included some minor aesthetic changes. For example, he changed the name of the ship to the Prometheus, and he also changed the planet from LV-426 to LV-423. He also made some major changes, including changing the movie from a direct prequel to 1979's Alien to a film that was set in the Alien universe. Gone were the facehuggers and xenomorphs. Now, the film had no less than six working titles, including Alien Engineers, Alien Genesis, Alien Origins, LV-426, Paradise, and Alien Tomb of the Gods, before finally settling on Prometheus, 
Lindelhoff's plot basically goes like this. A group of archaeologists discover what appears to be a map with a calling to find their creators, which leads them on an expedition to a far-off moon across the galaxy, only to find a bioweapon and what can only be described as a plan to wipe out humanity. A race for answers and survival ensues. The film's plot was inspired by Eric von Dankin's writings about ancient astronauts. Dankin said, quote, Both NASA and the Vatican agree that it's almost mathematically impossible that we can be where we are today without there being a little help along the way. End quote. Casting for the film was going to be essential. If there was one thing that both Alien and Aliens have in common is incredibly interesting characters. Scott fully intended to keep that streak going. Charlize Theron was cast in the lead role of Dr. Elizabeth Shaw. Theron was born in 1975 in Johannesburg, South Africa. She has been acting professionally since 1995 and won the Academy Award for Best Actress for her role as Eileen Warnos in the 2003 Patty Jenkins-directed film Monster. However, as the production date drew closer, Theron had to drop out of the film due to scheduling conflicts. The role of Dr. Shaw went to Numi Rapace, a Swedish-born actress primarily known to American audiences for her role in the original Girl with Dragon Tattoo trilogy. been asleep here on the ship all this time why well i only have a few days of life left in me here don't want to waste them till i was sure that you could deliver what you promised to meet my maker there we are sir nice and clean mm. haven't you told him they're all gone but they're not all gone dr shaw one of them is still alive we're on our way to see him now. What? Turn me around. You convinced me that if these things made us, then surely they could save us. I stick with it. Well, save me anyway. Save you from what? Death, of course. Stand me up. Oh. <clears throat> I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm all right. Yes, sir. You don't understand. You don't know. This place isn't what we thought it was. They aren't what we thought they were. I was wrong. We were so wrong. Charlie. Dr. Holloway's dead. We must leave. And what would Charlie do now? That we're so close to answering the most meaningful questions ever asked by mankind. Hmm? How can you leave without knowing what they are? Hmm. Or have you lost your faith? Sure. Interestingly enough, though, Charlize Theron's schedule cleared up before production began on Prometheus, and she was cast last minute as the, I will say, the uh, semi-antagonist, Meredith Vickers. So you came after all. I thought you wanted me to. After all your vigorous attempts to stop me from coming here, I'm just surprised to see you. It's all right, David. Leave us alone. Yes, sir. If you're really going down there, you're going to die. 
Very negative way of looking at things. Exactly why you should have stayed at home. Did you really think I was going to sit in a boardroom for years arguing over who was in charge while you go look for some miracle and some godforsaken rock in the middle of space? A king has his reign and then he dies. It's inevitable. That is a natural order of things. Idris Alba was cast in the role of Janik, the captain of the Prometheus. Alba had a small role in Ridley Scott's 2007 film, American Gangster. Come in. Where the hell are you going, Doc? You know what this place is? Those uh, engineers, this ain't their home. It's an installation. Maybe even military. And they put it out here in the middle of nowhere because they're not stupid enough to make weapons of mass destruction on their own doorstep. That's what all that shit is in those vases. They made it here. It got out. It turned on them. The end. It's time for us to go home. One of them is still alive. Do you want to know what they have to say? I don't care. Right. All you do is fly this ship. That's right. But you must care about something, Captain. If you didn't, why are you here? How about this? No matter what happens down there, I can't bring none of that shit back home with us. Can't let it happen. And I'll do whatever I have to to see that it doesn't. Make sure you do, Captain. The cast of Prometheus also included Guy Pearce and Logan Marshall Green. But what I believe to be the most important casting in this particular movie would be that of the role of the android David Eight. That part went to German-born, Irish-raised Michael Fassbender, who had a breakout role in Quentin Tarantino's 2009 film, Inglorious Bastards. Am I interrupting? Thought you might be running low. Pour yourself a glass, pal. Thank you, but I'm afraid it would be wasted on me. Oh, all right. I almost forgot you're not a real boy, huh? I'm very sorry that your engineers are all gone, Dr. Holloway. (laughs) You think we wasted our time coming here, don't you? Your question depends on me understanding what you hope to achieve by coming here. What we hope to achieve was to meet our makers, to get answers. Why they... why they even made us in the first place. Why do you think your people made me? We made you because we could. Can you imagine how disappointing it would be for you 
to hear the same thing from your creator. <laughs> I guess it's a good thing you can't be disappointed, I think. Yes. It's wonderful, actually. May I ask you something? Please do. How far would you go to get what you came in all this way for? Your answers. What would you be willing to do? Anything and everything. It's worth drinking to, I'd imagine. Here's mud in your eye, pal. Good health. Now, one of the more interesting things that I did not pick up while viewing these films was that all the androids' names in each film are in alphabetical order. Ash and Alien, Bishop and Aliens, Call and Alien Resurrection, and David and Prometheus. Of course, that will end when we get to the next film but I'll be discussing that in a future episode. With the script finished and the cast in place, principal photography began March 21st, 2011 and lasted for 88 days. Now this is very important to understand. By 2011, it would have been incredibly easy and honestly very convenient to shoot Prometheus in front of massive green screens. Most of the big tentpole films of that era were doing just that. I'm looking at you, Marvel movies. But that was not the case with Prometheus. Just like he had done with the original Alien in 1979, Ridley Scott had 16 massive sets built at Pinewood Studios in England. Almost every aspect of Prometheus was done practical. Now, there were some on-site locations that were used for filming, including that in Iceland, Spain, and Scotland, but the majority of the interior scenes were filmed on these mammoth sets built at Pinewood. Now, Scott also chose to shoot the majority of the film using state-of-the-art 3D cameras. James Cameron Avatar had brought 3D back to the mainstream, but unfortunately most studios would just post-convert a film into 3D, whereas Prometheus, just like Avatar, was shot using 3D cameras. The original xenomorph alien designer, H.R. Geiger, came back on board to assist Scott with Prometheus. Now He was tasked with reverse engineering a lot of the designs that had been made for the original alien. He was instrumental in the design of the three new alien creatures seen in the film. They're known as the Hammerpede, the Trilobite, and the creature seen at the very end of the film known as the Deacon. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2014, making Prometheus the last movie related to the alien franchise that he would work on. By the time the production was wrapping up on Prometheus, the internet especially was a buzz of the fact that Ridley Scott was making another alien movie. Although Scott was quite adamant that this was not going to be a prequel, just a film set in the same universe. Nonetheless, the buzz around the movie was really starting to ramp up. Now, speaking of the internet, a very unique viral marketing campaign was used to promote the film. Videos were popping up online depicting the near-future world from the film, including a fake TED Talk. T.E. Lawrence, eponymously of Arabia, but very much an Englishman, favored pinching a burning match between his fingers to put it out. When asked by his colleague, William Potter, to reveal his trick, how is it he so effectively extinguished the flame without hurting himself whatsoever, Lawrence just smiled and said, the trick, Potter, is not minding it hurts. <laughs> the fire that danced at the end of that match was a gift from the titan Prometheus, a gift that he stole 
from the gods when Prometheus was caught and brought to justice for his theft. The gods, well, you might say they overreact a little. The poor man was tied to a rock as an eagle ripped through his belly and ate his liver over and over, day after day, ad infinitum. All because he gave us fire, our first true piece of technology, fire. 100,000 BC, stone tools. 4,000 BC, the wheel. 9th century AD, gunpowder. Bit of a game changer, that one. 19th century, Eureka, the light bulb. 20th century, the automobile, television, nuclear weapons, spacecraft, internet. 21st century, biotech, nanotech, fusion and fission and M-theory. And that was just the first decade. We are now three months into the year of our Lord, 2023. At this moment in our civilization, we can create cybernetic individuals who, in just a few short years, will be completely indistinguishable from us. Which leads to an obvious conclusion. We are the gods now. For those of you who know me, you will be aware by now that my ambition is unlimited. You know that I will settle for nothing short of greatness, or I will die trying. For those of you who do not yet know me, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Peter Wayland, and if you'll indulge me, I'd like to change the world. and two different videos promoting the android David 8. These videos were designed by Scott and Lindelof and were directed by Scott's son, Luke. Prometheus was released in June of 2012 to very, very mixed reviews. It's some critics praising the visual spectacle that was the film, the amazing cinematography, while others seemed infuriated by the questions that were asked yet never answered in the film. Fans of the Alien franchise were also split, although I would say split's probably not accurate. I think it's certainly swayed more to the not happy with the film. Many were upset that a film set in the alien universe lacked the alien creature or the xenomorph that had made the franchise so famous. Some fans were upset by the casting choices. A lot of people were really pissed off with Lindelof's script. They claimed that he ruined the franchise, but others were okay with it. Some fans, including myself, saw a movie that was just visually stunning. Now, putting the first two Alien films aside, Prometheus was that one movie that I found myself enjoying even more the second in the third time that I saw it in preparation for this podcast. Some scenes in Prometheus are utterly jaw-dropping. And understanding that the majority of the film was shot using practical effects and purpose-built sets only adds to the wonder and the amazement of the film for me. Prometheus currently holds in 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. I asked James, aka Tim, what he thought about the film, and he said the following, quote, Overall, I like the movie. It's visually stunning. The problem for me was the dialogue and the stupidity of some of the characters. And of course, the unanswered questions. And it being set in the same universe, yet not being a direct sequel, was just annoying as a fan. End quote. 
If there's one thing that we can all agree on when it comes to Prometheus is that it was one of the most polarizing films of 2012, if not the past 20 years. Now, before I wrap up this episode, while doing a little background on the film and watching a couple behind-the-scenes videos on YouTube, I stumbled across a video from 2012 in which batshit-crazy conspiracy theorist and all-around asshole Alex Jones goes on a rant about Prometheus. A couple months ago, from one of my Hollywood sources, I was sent the early treatment slash boil-down script of Prometheus, and it's all about humans' origins, did aliens create us, one of the most anticipated films in a long time. It's coming out tomorrow, so we're going to restream a piece I did a few months ago with Aaron Dykes, the secrets of Prometheus film leaked, and they're talking about how it's designing our future and showing us with predictive programming what things are going to look like in the future. Ridley Scott, who made Blade Runner and so many other seminal films, I was able to get an early boil-down script of this and was able to you know, accurately tell you it's about did aliens or did God create humanity? And now Ridley Scott has come out and said, well, yeah, that's basically what the film is, and it's a prequel of sorts. And so, yes, now I'm seeing the spoilers and, and the reviews from Sneak Peeks. Uh, we did get a real script, but I didn't spoil it for everyone. Uh, this is obviously an Illuminati message, but within that Illuminati message, you can understand why they want to become God, why they are endangering us with genetic engineering and nanotech and all the rest of it, because they believe they've got to do this or die trying to ascend, that if they don't, they won't ever gain that life extension technology system. Yeah, I'm going to stop that right there. That's about as much as I can take. I mean, fuck that guy. Anyway, once again, I have to thank James for helping me put this episode together. It really made all the difference in me getting this out as soon as possible. Thank you so much, James. And for everyone else, thank you so much for listening. Introducing the next generation, David, launching June 8th on the Prometheus. What is it about robots that makes them so robotic? At Wayland Industries, it has long been our goal to create artificial intelligence almost indistinguishable from mankind itself. Hello, I'm David. What can you do, David? I can do almost anything that could possibly be asked of me. I can assist your employees. I can make your organization more efficient. I can carry out directives that my human counterparts might find distressing or unethical. I can blend in with your workforce effortlessly. David, what do you think about? I think about anything. Children play. Angel. The universe. Robots. David, what makes you sad? War. Poverty. Cruelty. Unnecessary violence. I understand human emotions, although I do not feel them myself. This allows me to be more efficient and capable, and makes it easier for my human counterparts to interact with me. 
Is there anything you would like to say, David? I would like to express gratitude to those who created me. Happy birthday, David. From Wayland Industries. Eighth generation Wayland type. Technological, intellectual, physical, emotional. Final report of the vessel Prometheus. The ship and her entire crew are gone. If you're receiving this transmission, make no attempt to come to its point of origin. There's only death here now, and I'm leaving it behind. It is New Year's Day, the year of our Lord, 2094. My name is Elizabeth Shaw, last survivor of the Prometheus, and I'm still searching. The How Is This Movie podcast is produced by Dana Buckler for Hidden Productions located in Ocala, Florida. Please follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at How Is This Movie. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash howisthismovie. Of course, you can always email the show with questions or comments at hitmpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, to become a monthly supporter of this podcast and gain instant access to bonus episodes not available anywhere else, go to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. You'll find Find all the links to our social media in this episode's show notes.